This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. I've got another hour of old-time radio crime for you this week, as we do every Wednesday at RelicRadio.com. Our first story this time comes from Richard Diamond, private detective. We'll hear the Simpson case from January 18, 1952. After that, it's the adventures of Philip Marlowe and the Fox's Tale, his story from May 23, 1950. The makers of Camel Cigarettes present Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective. Why are camels by far America's most popular cigarette? Two of the reasons are flavor and mildness. No other cigarette has camels' rich, full flavor. And no other cigarette offers this proof of mildness. In a coast-to-coast test of hundreds of people with normal throats, noted throat specialists reported not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels. Try camels yourself. Then you'll know why Camel leads all other brands by billions of cigarettes per year. Here transcribed is Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Diamond Detective Agency, we make crime pay for a hundred a day. Hi. Plus expenses. Hi, Helen. I'd like to hire you. No cut rates for attractive redheads. But I'm a working girl. I only make $12.40 a week. Doing what? Running an elevator in the automat. My dear girl, there are no elevators in the automat. Oh, no wonder they wouldn't give me a raise. Oh, that's funny. I want to hire you to protect me from a man. He's been bothering me. And just who is this man? His name's Richard Diamond. Well, no wonder he's been bothering you. You've been bothering him. Will you take my case? Just as far as my apartment. We'll open it up and have a party. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Only when I try hard. I miss you. I saw you last night. You're just bored. Uh-huh. And I miss you. I'm lonesome. I'm broke. i got to hang around and pray for a client. Well, I've got a wonderful suggestion. Why don't you come Uh-oh. over... oh What? Mr. Diamond? Why, yes. Come in. Rick, who is it? I don't know, but I'm making plans for some extensive research. I didn't mean to disturb you. I don't know how you could help it. Rick, who is that? I'll call you back when I find out. That's a girl. It certainly is. Rick! Bye. Now, Rick, you... Your girl? Hmm? On the phone. Oh, oh, uh, just an old wealthy aunt. She's leaving me her lumber fortune. Oh, nice. Yes, uh, sit down, uh, sit down, Miss, uh... Simpson. Mrs. Oh, yeah. So you have an aunt in lumber. Oh, yes, yes. Broke one day, made a million the next. Discovered trees on her property. Trees on her property? Well, what are you going to do? I came in to hire you, Mr. Diamond. You have a kind heart and plenty of money, I hope. My husband needs protection. Yeah. I beg your pardon? Nothing, nothing. Just snapping at judgments. Occupational hazard. My husband is John Simpson. Perhaps you've heard of him. The John Simpson? Yes. No. He's retired. He discovered oil on his property. 
Oh, that one. Oh, sure. He was responsible for my bearings burning out at 700,000 miles. He was walking in the garden the other day. Going to drill in the daisy bed? Someone shot at him. Oh. He's all right. They didn't hit him. But I've been terribly worried ever since. Not to mention how your husband feels. He wouldn't call the police and wouldn't give me a reason. But he wants me to protect him. He doesn't even know I've come to see you. Well, what's he going to say? I'm hiring you, and I hope he'll understand. Well, I hope so, too. I charge a hundred a day at expenses. I have my own bank account. Oh, no. Diamond Detective. Who is she? Well, Aunt Hannah. What? Oh, that's nice, Aunt Hannah. I think spruce is just the thing. Aunt Hannah? Spruce? Richard Diamond, of you... Of course, Aunt Hannah. I'll talk to you later. I knew it. She's a blonde. She sure is, Aunt Hannah. Aunt Hannah. The one with the trees. Thinking about buying a carload of spruce. How nice. Am I hired? Of course. Then let's get out of here. Aunt Hannah might be over with a bat. Spruce? Of course. Well, that's how it started. A lovely blonde named Simpson with a wealthy husband. The husband had ducked a bullet in his garden, and now the lovely blonde wanted protection for him. A few casual jokes, a fat retainer, and Richard Diamond was once more in the ranks of the employed. We left the office and climbed in our station wagon. Forty minutes later, we were pulling up in front of the Simpson house on Long Island. Ah, quite a place. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, if you like money. John's probably in the study. May I take your hat? Well, I'll just keep it with me. Your husband might not want a bodyguard. Well, you're back in a hurry. Oh, hello, Ralph. This is Mr. Diamond. Glad to meet you, Mr. Diamond. Hello. This is Ralph Simpson, Mr. Diamond, my stepson. People are more inclined to think we're brother and sister. Oh, I can understand. Ralph was the one who suggested you. Oh, why me? Reputation. Looks like everyone knows about me but the man I'm supposed to protect. And he won't like it much at first. I've already been briefed. But whether he understands or not, it's most necessary he has protection. Well, let's get it over with. Hello, dear. What is this, a convention? Hello, Jane. Hello, Professor. Who is this man, this person with the hat? This is Mr. Diamond, John. Mr. Diamond, this is my husband, Mr. Simpson. Yeah. Charmed. And this is Professor Fisher. How do you do, Mr. Diamond? Hello, Professor. What do you do, young man? Do? Mr. Diamond is a private detective, dear. What? Now, dear, it was my idea. A, a private detective? Now, just relax. Oh, go away, you quack. I've been relaxing enough. I can't think straight anymore. You've been making me relax so much. If you're not careful... Jane, I told you I didn't want anyone. But after being shot at... She pay I... your retainer, Diamond? Yeah. Did she explain my feeling on this subject? Well, yeah. And you still took the money? I've been poor. I told every one of you I can take care of myself. You know, I think he's right. Here's your retainer, Mr. But, Mr. Simpson. Diamond, please. Where do you think you're going? Out to find the guy who took a shot at you and give him some target practice. You've been paid a retainer to do a job. Now, let's see you do it. Oh, John. I had a feeling you were going to do something like this. Bring in a private detective or a policeman or something. Well, if he's supposed to give me protection, that's what he'll do. Now. All of you, get out of here. I want to talk to this Mr. Diamond. Thank you, John. I'll see you at dinner, dear. Now, you take care of yourself, you old scoundrel. Oh, beat it! Goodbye, Mr. Diamond. Nice meeting you, Professor. Well, Mr. Diamond, I have a feeling you might regret this job. It's possible. 
I really wanted you. I was just keeping up a front for the benefit of the family. Is Professor Fisher one of the family? An old friend. Professor Fisher's a psychologist. After my stroke, he came to help me. He teaches me how to relax. You had a stroke? Three months ago. The professor has been a great help. You have a physician also? I don't need one. Now, as long as you're here to protect me, I might as well tell you what it's all about. Answer me one question first. I'll try. Why not call in the police? I have you. Do I need the police now? When someone takes a shot at someone, I think the police should be the first to know about it. Now, if you are quite done, Mr. Diamond, I'll continue. I'm well done. This morning, if my wife had brought you in, I would have had you thrown out. I didn't want any outsiders mixed up in this. What saves your mind? A letter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Type. Oh, read it. All right, I will. I missed you in the garden. I won't miss again. You'll pay for Ashanti. Ashanti. It's in Africa. Oh. Twenty years ago, I was in the mining business. I had a partner, Frank Victor. We didn't get along, and there was an argument one day in the mine. It was quite a scrap, and there was a cave-in. I got out. Frank didn't. There was an investigation, and... I was cleared. Why tell me? The shooting in the garden could have been any crackpot. I didn't want any publicity, so I didn't want any outsiders. Then this letter. I have to confide in someone so they'll know who to look for. Who else knew about it? No one that it should make any difference to. Victor was a bachelor without a family. Could be blackmail. Someone who was there or at the investigation. Then why shoot at me? To give you a good scare. You'll probably get another letter demanding money. This person must be caught. In my position, I can't afford the scandal. Now, you say I'm the first one you've told. Outside of your family? I haven't told my family a thing. Even my first wife didn't know about it. Mm. You've heard nothing of the incident for 20 years? Nothing. Well, I'll see what I can find out. I promised John Simpson my confidence. He offered me a large bonus if I should discover who had sent him the threatening letter... Then I borrowed one of his cars and drove back to the city where I looked up an old friend. Lieutenant Levinson, 5th Precinct Police Station. Well, the smiling gumshoe. Well, hello, happiness and light. Want to do me a favor? Depends. Well, if you can strain your arches, I'd like some confidential information on the few people. What is in it for me? <laughs> I promise not to tell anyone what a mercenary policeman you are. I'd like dinner, maybe a big steak. You'll get dinner, maybe chow mein. You got a deal with that restaurant? Certainly. They saved me all the leftover fortunes stuck in the cookies. <laughs> Who are you interested in? I want to know about a young guy named Ralph Simpson, an attractive blonde named Mrs. Simpson, and a man named Professor Fisher. Simpson, Simpson, and Fisher. The boy named Ralph is the son of John Simpson. No. Yeah. The John Simpson? Know who he is? No. Well, unlike my Aunt Hannah, who discovered trees in her property... Your Aunt Hannah? Simpson discovered oil. Oh, that one. His wife is the blonde. Which blonde? The one I want you to check on, Mrs. Simpson. Oh, how silly of me. I should have known. Don't forget the professor. I thought you said his name was Fisher. I did. How does he fit in with Simpson? A friend of the family. Now you got everything? Sure, sure. Blonde named Mrs. Simpson, a son named Ralph. He's not her son. Well, you just said... He was John's son. Who's the blonde? John's other wife? John's other wife. That's right. Oh. He's her stepson. Oh. Well, why the devil do you want me to check on these people? I was thinking about having a bridge party. Well, give me the rundown on them. Sure. Uh, Walt. Huh? Put your shoes on. Oh. 
I gave Walt the rundown he wanted and headed for the newspaper where I knew I could wallow through the morgue file and not be disturbed. I went back 20 years and after wallowing for three or four hours found a small article dated Ashanti, Africa, 1930. It didn't say much more than what John Simpson had already told me. It mentioned the mine cave-in and the pending investigation on the death of Frank Victor. In an edition dated three weeks later, I found the account of the investigation and it verified Simpson's story. I left the newspaper and went back to my office to check on a few things. Then, as I was about to leave and close up until I'd finished the case, I got a phone call. Yeah? Diamond? Yeah? This is John Simpson. I took a chance you might be in your office. Oh, I was just coming back out there. This is John Simpson. I took a chance you might be in your office. Yeah, 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 you said that. I'd like you to pick up something for me. Oh, sure. It's a package... It's at a bar on 57th Street, the Blue Pheasant. The Blue Pheasant on 57th Street. Mr. Diamond, this is John Simpson. Yes, yes, I, I, I know, I know. Anything else? Hello? Mr. Simpson. Bring it out to me right away. It's very important. I'll pick it up and bring it right out. Something wrong, Mr. Simpson? Hello? Hello? Hmm. Funny. <laughs> Before we continue with Richard Diamond, here is an important question. What cigarette do you smoke, doctor? That question was asked a few years ago of 113,597 doctors. The brand name most was Camel. Recently, that question was again asked of tens of thousands of doctors across the country. Doctors in all branches of medicine. And again... The brand named most was Camel. Yes, according to these nationwide surveys, more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Friends, smoke the cigarette so many doctors enjoy. Change to Camels for 30 days and see how mild, how flavorful, how enjoyable a cigarette can be. Yes, change to Camels for 30 days and you'll stay with Camels from then on. How mild, how mild, how mild, how mild can a cigarette be? Make the camel 30-day test and you'll see. Smoke camels as well. And now, back to Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. I left the office and went down to 57th Street in the Blue Pheasant where I told the bartender who I was and he handed me the package Simpson had wanted me to pick up for him. I drove back out to the house on Long Island. The maid let me in and Mrs. Simpson met me at the study door. Hello. Well, hi. Where's your husband? Oh, I think he's still in the study. He was a little while ago. You going out? Some shopping. You're staying for dinner. Where's your stepson? Ralph went out just after you left. Did you want him for something? No, no, no. Just wondered. Then shopping? Oh, this is a package for your husband. He wanted me to pick it up. Dinner's at seven. Uh, Mrs. Simpson. Yes? Professor Fisher. What about him? How long have you known him? Since I've been married to John. Your husband said he was helping him to relax. Yes. Is there something wrong? I don't know. I talked to your husband earlier when he asked me to pick up this package. He sounded rather strange. Kept repeating himself. 
Since he had a stroke, he does that sometimes. Well, shouldn't he have a nurse? He should, but he won't. If something should happen, Professor Fisher's number is in the book on John's desk. I'll call the maid. Mm. I'll see you at dinner. Bye. Well, hello, Mr. Simpson. I've got the package. Give me the package. Uh, Mr. Simpson. Give me the package. Uh, are you feeling all right? Give me the package. Well, okay, here. Yeah. Oh, I did some checking on your story about a shatty, and I... Give me the package. You've got it. Mr. Simpson. What? Hey, what's wrong? Mr. Simpson, did you hear me? Oh, I better get the maid. The maid! Maid! Mr. Diamond? Yeah, Ralph? Yeah. What's wrong? I don't know. Your father's acting... It felt like the whole building was coming down around my ears. Ralph and I were thrown back against the wall, and by the time we got up, the study was a smoking black hole. Dad! Dad! I stumbled in after Ralph, but there wasn't much to stumble in after. John Simpson had been blown to kingdom come. You're sure it was Simpson on the phone? Sure, I'm sure it was Simpson on the phone, Walt. He asked you to pick up the package. That's right. He wanted it when I brought it in to him. He wouldn't say anything else. He just demanded that package. He'd been pretty sick, hadn't he? Yeah, but a man doesn't go to that much trouble to commit suicide. No. Well, maybe somebody planted the bomb. Look, let's uh, let's check with that bartender at the Blue Pheasant. Yeah, I want to talk to the rest of the family first. And by the way, uh, what did you find out about them? No police records. Can't find out much about the professor. He has no practice, no license in the state. Well, see if you can find out something. Interested? Yeah. It's funny when a man has a heart condition and won't have a doctor. I'll drag the professor in if you like. No, no, no. You go talk to the family. I'll go over and check with the bartender. Uh, wait a minute, Sherlock. You better tell me how you got into this mess. Okay, Fatty. Guess it won't hurt now. I told Walt everything the late Mr. Simpson had told me, then headed back to town in the Blue Pheasant on 57th Street. By the time I got there, the place was pretty well filled, but the bartender who had given me the package that afternoon wasn't in sight. Yeah, Willoughby. Uh, where's the bartender who was working this afternoon? How do I know? He just works in the afternoon. Where does he live? Why? Well, I'm collecting addresses of bartenders. Now, where does he live? You collect addresses. I collect wise guys. It'll beat it. You mean I got to show my little old badge? Your little old badge? Well, why can you say so? Complex. He lives at 500 West 157th Street. What's his name? Earl. Earl Collins. No relation to Tom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no relation to time. Huh. What are you going to do? I piled out of the bar and back in the car. Drove across town to 157th Street and 500 West. It was a big apartment house in Earl Collins. It was registered in 405. I climbed the stairs and knocked. Gave him a few minutes while I knocked my knuckles loose. Then went and dug up the landlady to have her open the door. She was a charmer, about four years older than Grant's tomb, with a gin disposition that would make a lost weekend seem like a Miami vacation. The type that should never have been dug up. Look, honey, I got cleaning to do. Sweetheart. Uh, Sweetheart. Oh, an expression of fond endearment. Look, Buster, don't give me no words longer than one syllable. Cop. 
Wilt? Yes, Mother. Mother. Sweetheart. Some cop. We'll discuss my qualifications as soon as you open that door. Okay. Sweetheart. There you are. Holy. You said it. Is he dead? As dead as he can get. Mm, still warm. I'm not interested. I need a drink. Did you see him come in? No. Did you see anybody else come in? I've been in my apartment all afternoon. I'm going back there. Killer used something awfully sharp. Neat job. Neat? What are you looking at? What's that other room? Hi, what's wrong? Keep it quiet. What's that room? Oh, good gosh, bedroom. Any other rooms? Hi. Answer me. Bathroom. Fire escape? Huh? Where is it? Into the hall. Look, there's some blood leading to that bedroom. Oh. Now, shh, take it easy. Go downstairs and call Lieutenant Walter Levinson. Oh, Lieutenant Levin Walson. Walter Levinson. Oh, goodbye. At the 5th Precinct. 5th Precinct, oh, yeah. There were several drops of blood leading to the bedroom door. There was a good chance that the killer had been surprised and couldn't get out. I went to the door and tried it as quietly as I could. It gave, and I kicked it open. The shades were down, and the room was dark enough to make it difficult to spot anyone. I moved in with my gun in front of me. He was standing right by the door, and he had a knife. Drop it. No. You should have listened. Didn't want to. Sorry, Professor. Don't be. It's better this way. Now look, look, you're in bad shape. You better tell me about it. You fired the shot in the garden and sent the letter? Yeah. Help me sit up. Okay. Yeah. Lean against the wall. Thank you. Well, I, I still can't figure why Simpson had me pick up that bomb. I made him. You did? I've been treating him for nerves. I started giving him a hypnotic when he had his first spells. During one of those times, he reenacted the Ashanti affair. So you decided to blackmail him? At first. Then when you took the case, we decided to eliminate him. We? And Mrs. Simpson and I have been... <coughs> Hadn't got much time. Internal bleeding. Police will be here pretty quick. Decided to kill the old man and Jane would get to state. I thought you'd be blown up with him. Mr. Simpson was under some sort of influence when I walked into the study. My profession. After you left, I returned and talked him into a deep sleep. I had him call you at your office. He nearly messed it up. Hypnosis. Nothing unusual. Simple suggestions. And when I walked into the study... He'd been ordered to ask for the package and open it. You mean he was asleep when I walked in? Yes, you see. It's too late. You'll have to guess the rest. Bleeding in. Yeah. Well, you better lie down again, Professor. You'll have to get used to it. Why did he kill the bartender? Well, Walt checked and the professor had been coming into the bar for some time in the afternoons. 
He made friends with Earl, the bartender, and left a package with him. When he found out I hadn't been killed in the blast, he killed Earl to keep him from identifying him. Ooh, charming. Yep, like an asylum in an earthquake. Well, I told you to stick to redheads. Oh, really? Well, you know any available ones? One. <laughs> How available? Um, you'll have to do some extensive research. Okay. After dinner. I do not do any research on a schedule. Don't you want any dinner? Well, sure. Well, it get cold. Let it. Rick. What? I'm hungry. Oh, for Pete's sake. You sing something while I go put the food on a tray and we can eat in here by the fire. You're going to get fat and sassy. Rick. I take it back. You're already sassy. You sing something. I'll be right back. Nah, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. Got to sing for everything. Oh, dee doo 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 That's nice. Just get the food, huh? Let's sing, huh? Um. I think of you with every breath I take And every breath becomes a sigh Not a sigh of despair But a sign that I care for you I hear your name with every breath I take On Every breeze that wanders by And your name is the song I'll remember the long years through Even though I walk alone You guide me In the darkness you light my way and all the while inside me, love seems to say, someday, someday. And when I sleep, you keep my heart awake. But when I wake from dreams divine, every breath that I take, is a prayer that I'll make you mine. Rick. Hmm? Is there really anything to this hypnosis? Well, it sure is. The old professor made Simpson open that package. Is it hard to do? Ah, oh, look, I'll show you. Just sit right there. Rick, I... I... It's all right. Just look me right in the eye. All right. You're going to sleep. You're going to sleep. You just want to go to sleep. Nothing makes any difference. Just sleep. 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 Rick. Shh. Deep, deep sleep. A deep, sour, peaceful... Oh, for Pete's sake... Dick Powell will return in just a minute. To find out how well camels agree with the throats of smokers, this far-reaching test was made. Hundreds of people from coast to coast, people with normal throats, smoked only camels for 30 days. Each week, leading throat specialists examined the throats of these smokers. They made 2,470 examinations and reported not one single case of throat irritation. 
due to smoking camels. Try camels for 30 days and see how mild, how flavorful, how enjoyable a cigarette can be. How mild, how mild, how mild can a cigarette be? Smoke camels and see. Here's Dick Powell with a special message. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, the makers of camels have sent more than 198 million gift camels to our armed forces. This week, gift camels go to hospitalized servicemen and veterans at Veterans Hospitals, Framingham, Massachusetts, and Durban, Michigan, U.S. Naval Hospital, San Diego, California, and to all hospitals operated for the U.S. Air Forces in the Far East. Now, until next week, enjoy camels. I always do. Tonight's transcribed adventure of Richard Diamond was written and directed by Blake Edwards with music by Frank Worth. Virginia Gregg played the part of Helen Asher and Alan Reed was Lieutenant Levinson. Others in the cast were Gene Bates, Herbert Butterfield, and Tony Michaels. Be sure to listen to another great camel show, Vaughn Monroe and the Camel Caravan, every Saturday night. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road. And those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison or an early grave. There's no other end. But they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's transcribed story, The Fox's Tale. Sometimes when the phone just never should have been invented. Hello, Marlowe speaking. This is Orrin Metcalf. You remember me, don't you, Marlowe? Oh, sure, Barrister. What can I do for you? Uh, meet me here at the Blue Chip Bar at once, Marlowe. Huh? Look, I can hardly hear you. Speak up, will you, Orrin? Uh, the Blue Chip Bar. Yeah? It's a miserable cafe on Melrose near La Brea. Melrose near La Brea? Yes. I'm in a booth, the last one on your right as you enter. But be careful, Phil. We can't afford to be seen. And please hurry. I'll pay you handsomely. To do what, Oren? To impersonate a dead man. The blue chip was an indelicate assortment of stale smells. Surrounding pictures of Lady Godiva, some without horses, and featuring low lights, lower clientele, and the lowest grade of bar whiskey. Against that backdrop, my new client stood out like a Dresden doll in a police lineup. Orrin Metcalf, in spite of the electricity in his voice, was only five and a half feet tall. Couldn't have weighed more than 130 pounds, including the glitter of honorary fraternity pins that dangled from his watch chain. He was maybe 50, bald, wore glasses halfway down a long nose, and at the moment was as nonchalant as a five-inch firecracker with a sputtering fuse. Sit down, sit down, listen carefully. It's going to be hard in here, but go ahead. I am representing a man named Kubion in a lawsuit. Uh, Rudolf Kubion. Yeah? He's a manufacturing chemist. Hungarian-born, at present, Phil, in a sanitarium. 
The nervous system will take just so much, you know. Yeah, I know. And look, this Rudolph Kuvion is suing or being sued? Which? He's suing. And nobody less than his former employer, the eminent Justin Shepard. Justin Shepard. Well, he, uh, turns out cosmetics, doesn't he? Makeup, lipstick, that kind of stuff. Uh, yes, stuff, Marlowe, which includes a new and revolutionary nail polish that's worth a fortune. Which was invented by your client and stolen from him by Justin Shepard, huh? Exactly. We're suing for $250,000 in damages, Marlowe. But we'll settle out of court for $150,000 in cash. Hello. Not a cent less. Now, the trial, Phil, has, um... Oh, wait. wait. What? What's the matter? Oh, wait, John. Oh. Um, uh, some brandy, please. Cognac. Cognac? <laughs> You're kidding, Pop. Like I said, what'll it be? All right, Junior. Two beers. Skip the chatter. We gotta catch a train. Okay. Be antisocial. Yeah, yeah. Right, not awful. You were talking about the trial, Oren? Oh, yes. Now, the whole point, Phil, is that every witness we had at the outset has so far either been bought off or frightened away by Shepard and his crew. Hmm. With one exception. You're racing the hole, huh? Yes. A man named Max Redmond. Hmm. He worked with Rudolph Cuvion years ago in Chicago. When Cuvion first perfected the lacquer base, which makes the nail polish formula so valuable, hmm. Redmond's testimony could have swung everything our way. And Justin Shepard... Found this out. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean, could have, Oren? Huh? Two beers is ordered. 30 cents, gents. Hey, uh, we're even. Thanks. Ah, now, Marlo, the dead man I spoke of, and Max Redmond, are one and the same. Shepard murderer? It worse. He drove Max Redmond to suicide, Marlo. The man shot himself an hour ago. I don't follow that. Well, Redmond was staying here in L.A. with his wife. Now, I'll tell you the address in a moment. It's nearby. And although neither Shepard nor his cronies ever got to see Redmond, they knew where he was and where he came from. With that, they went to work. Black man? Oh, yes. Years ago, Redmond got in a jam. I have no idea what it was, something that he was conscience-stricken about. And Shepard uncovered it, then got through to Redmond on the phone. He struck home. His blackmail price was Redmond's silence, huh? Right you are. Mm. Shepard told him to get out of town. But when I talked to Redmond an hour ago, he was positive that Shepard would demand more in the future. Redmond was really hysterical, said he wished he'd never heard of me or Rudolf Kuvion. And then he hung up. Well, when I got to his apartment, I found him dead, shot by his own hand, his pistol at his side. Oh, it was awful. Yeah. Tell me, Oren, what about Redmond's wife? Well, her name is Louise. Uh, she's out of town right now. He was afraid for her and made her go away. Mm -hmm. At any rate, Phil, you see what I'm getting at, don't you? The reason I want you to work for me? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Shepard and his buddies don't know Redmond's killed himself, and if I give the impression by posing as Redmond that he's still alive and not leaving town, Shepard will figure that his blackmail angle didn't work, huh? And he'll get together with you and settle before tomorrow morning when Redmond would have taken the witness stand. Precisely, Phil. Yeah. A hundred and a half settlement as against a court award of a quarter of a million means a saving of a hundred thousand dollars to Shepard. He'll pay it, as long as he thinks Redmond's still alive and willing to testify. Well, now, will you do it, Marlowe? Poses Redmond, huh? There's a thousand dollars in it for him. I don't know. A thousand dollars, Phil. And Rudolph Kuvion, helpless in the sanitarium. And Max Redmond. It's an awful lot to turn down, isn't it, Arm? Huh? Thank you. Thank you. Now then, here's the deal. Oh, wait a minute. How about... No questions. Every minute counts. Now, I've got Redmond's top coat right here. Now, you put it on when you leave. And here are the keys to his apartment. The Garden Court Apartments on South Ogden. South Ogden? Yes, right. Uh -huh. Now you sneak inside. Then a minute later, very obviously, go out again. 
Get into his car. It's a new green Nash. Drive up into the Hollywood Hills along Lookout Road. Why there? Well, Redmond drove up there a lot. Now, later, return to the apartment. You'll probably be followed as Redmond always was. And the man will be big and muscular. And in a black coupé. Now, once they know that Redmond... Uh, well, that's you, of course. Yeah, sure. ...doesn't intend to leave town. There may be an attempt in your life. So watch your step. Getting killed as Redmond destroys the illusion we're out to create. That's not all it destroys. Eh? May destroy me. It played his outline. A minute after I drove Redmond's car out of his garage and conspicuously signaled a left turn with a plaid sleeve, I picked up my escort. His headlights stayed in my rearview mirror all the way along Sunset Boulevard and then up into the hills along Lookout Road. I drove slowly until I cleared a hairpin turn and spotted a flat open lot about a hundred yards ahead and to my right. It overlooked the city below and was dotted with cement bags, piles of lumber, and bulldozers that had gone to bed hours ago. I swerved off the road sharply, cut my lights and parked close to the edge of the cliff. Then I piled out of the car and quickly set up the oldest trick in the book. I took off the plaid coat, tossed it over a shoulder-high board jutting out of a lumber pile, topped it with my hat and ran for cover behind the bulldozer. I got there just as the black coup pulled in, cut its lights, and ground to a stop. Then I saw something big and beefy get out and start toward the coat, an ugly snub-nosed gun in hand. I reached my thirty-eight and slowly moved through the ankle-deep weeds until I was only a few feet behind him. When he fired at the coat, I was only inches away. What the... Does that make it my turn? Don't try it. You're not Redmond. I'm not a lot of people. Drop your gun. Go on. What are you going to do? I'll ask the questions. What's your name? Gaffney. Earl Gaffney. Working for Justin Shepard? No, no, no. I I was just... You're just a liar! That's nothing compared to what's in store for you. No, quit. I... I worked for Shepard, all right. And you were tagging me, thinking I was Redmond, to see if I was going out of town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I had orders to knock you uh, I mean, knock Redmond off. If he didn't go straight for the airport. That's all honest. I, I don't know anymore. Get up. Oh. Now walk over to that tube in there. Open it and get in. Go on, go on. Keep moving and keep your hands open. All right. Now, I want to have a little chat with Justin Shepard. His home address, what is it? He ain't got one. He stays at hotels. Right now, it's the Bigman Plaza in Beverly Hills. Now, quit, will you? That's all I know. Sure, sure. You see, Earl, I believe you. You've got such an honest face. For a killer? <clears throat> Sweet dreams, Buster. dozen gladiolas and one dozen golden iris. Yes. And deliver them here to the desk of the Feekman Plaza Hotel. No, it's not in Santa Monica. It's in Beverly Hills. It has been for years. Goodbye. <laughs> stupid, stupid people. Yeah, they're just everywhere, aren't they? Indeed. Oh, <clears throat> uh, uh, may I help you, sir? Yes, I was looking for Mr. Justin Shepard. Is he in? Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> you could almost reach out and touch him. No, really? Yes, that's he over there, reading the paper in the Louis XIV chair. The Louis XIV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see him? The short, round man. Oh. To one side of that woman wearing that 
stunning taffeta. That what? Uh, stunning taffeta. You see, it's oh. applicated with those bright red roses. Oh, yeah. Couldn't miss it. Turn <laughs> yeah. right at the stunning taffeta. <laughs> uh, Goodbye. Uh, you're quite welcome, sir. Welcome indeed. Goodbye. Mr. Shepard? That's right. My name is Philip Marlowe. I'm a private detective. I know. I've heard of you. Oh? What's on your mind, Mr. Marlowe? A chemist. What about him? What does he have to do with me? Earl Gaffney. Who... Who... uh, Who is Earl Gaffney? A louse who missed. Like the rest of them will. Max Redmond is still alive, and I intend to keep him that way. Good night, Mr. Shepard. See you in court. The effect was great. The fat man's mouth fell open and his chin jellied all over his chest. I let it go at that. The illusion was established. As far as Justin Shepard and company were concerned, Max Redmond was very much alive and kicking up the kind of trouble that they didn't want. But 20 minutes later, when I let myself into the dead man's apartment and walked into his bedroom... I knew the illusion was only an illusion. Max Redmond's body was sprawled at a crazy angle across the bed. I wondered what he could have possibly done to take this easy way out. I stopped wondering when the front door closed. It was a woman with the deepest brown eyes I'd ever seen. What are you doing here? Who are you? My name is Max Redmond. You're lying. Where is Max? Tell me, where is he? He's in the bedroom. You a friend of his? I'm his wife, and I'm going to speak to him. Don't try to stop me. I won't, Mrs. Redmond. Go ahead. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first... Bing Crosby climaxes his season on CBS this Wednesday night with a terrific lineup of top talent. Arthur Godfrey, Bob Hope, Perry Como, and the four Crosby sons, who've attracted nationwide attention as his guests earlier this year. Bing, Arthur Godfrey, Bob Hope, Perry Como, and the youngsters will be heard in a great musical roundup of the season's top tunes. So be listening this Wednesday when on most of these same CBS stations, the Bing Crosby Show comes along with these top guests. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe, and tonight's story, The Fox's Tale. Louise Redmond's dark, troubled eyes stared at the bedroom door for an instant, and she darted past me and inside. When she saw him, she froze, her eyes on the gun at the dead man's side. One hand trembled toward her mouth. Hang out of yourself, baby. Max. Oh, Max. Max. Why did you do it? Why? Your husband had proof that a fat buzzard named Justin Shepard swindled a fortune from Rudolph Kuvian, an old friend of his. Max was going to offer that proof tomorrow morning in court. He wouldn't kill himself because of that. Well, there must have been something in his past that he couldn't live with any longer. Do you know what it was, Louise? I don't believe any of this. You were in here posing as Max. You're responsible for his death, but you won't get away Louis, with it. Give me that gun. Little fool, let go. I said let go. That's better. 
smart enough to give in fast anyway. Now sit down over there and listen. Who are you? Why are you here? I'm Philip Marlowe, hired by Oren Metcalf. You know him? Yes. He found Max like that. They couldn't let Shepard know that the case against him was dead, so he hired me to keep up the illusion that Max was still alive and wrong. Metcalf is sure that Shepard will crack before morning. But we'll need your cooperation, Louise. How about it, huh? When you took that gun away from me, you smashed my only picture of Max. You couldn't even leave me that intact. I'm sorry. I know it's going to be tough on you, baby, but... Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. Louise, did, did Max write that on the picture there? Yes. To my Louise. With love. Louise, listen to me now. This backhand script. Was Max left-handed? Yes, but what is that? He was shot in the right temple. You mean that someone killed him? That's the general idea, yeah. Justin Shepard, the man Max intended to testify against. No, not unless he's a lot slicker than I think. But he has an assistant, a tough one named Gaffney, was watching this place when I took over. If he did it, then followed me, he wouldn't have had a chance to report to his boss. I don't understand. Followed you where? Oh, to that lot on Lookout Road where Max liked to go. I caught Gaffney there and filed him away in a tool bin. Better go and have another chat with that boy right now. You wait here. Here. Now, look, baby, we can't quit. You've got to finish the job Max started for his old friend, Kuvian, and better than that, maybe we can get Max's killer, too. Are you game? I'll do as you say. As I went out to Redmond's car, several things bothered me. And not the least of them were Louise Redmond's dark, deep eyes. When I got in the car, I felt the pistol that had killed Max. It was in my pocket where I dropped it after I'd taken it away from the girl. I pulled it out and looked at it. It was a Belgian Browning 765 automatic. I broke it apart and then, on a hunch, I slipped it back together, got out of the car again, and took the gun up to Louise. I, I, I don't know much about guns, Marlowe. All you may have to do is point at Louise. The threat will probably be enough. In case it isn't, that's the safety catch there on the side. I'll be back as soon as I can. When I pulled out onto the vacant hilltop lot, I centered the tool bin in the headlights. I was out of the car and wading through the foot-high foxtail grass before I noticed that the, the stick I'd shoved through the hasp was now on the ground. I ran the rest of the way and jerked the lid open. Gaffney was gone. I started to close the lid, but stopped at something in the bottom of the bin. I'd have liked a coiled rattlesnake better. It was a glistening, sticky puddle, and it was blood. <laughs> the scream had come from a hollow beside the lot. I ran toward it. Saw two kids in a parked car, scared stiff and staring into a tangle of brush in front of them. Mister, Mister, there's, there's a man down there. He's hurt bad. Where? Show me. In that brush. We both saw him. He stood up just a second ago, and he started toward us. There was blood all over him. And then he fell down again. Okay, get your girl out of here. Get back to your car. Okay, mister. Oh, hey, holy cats. You're Philip Marlowe, the detective. Yeah, I've yeah. seen your picture lots of times. All right, be a good fan and stay out of the way. The guy's dangerous. Go on. Yeah, okay. Come on, buddy. Gaffney. Who did it, Gaffney? It's a spray. Yeah. I knew 
Who got me? <laughs> who knew? Who? Yeah. Hey, Mr. Marlowe. Hey, Mr. Marlowe. Did you, did you, did you find him, Mr. Marlowe? Yeah, I found him, son. He's dead. Holy cat. Now, look, do me a favor, will you? Get to a phone, report this to the police. Oh, yeah, sure. Tell them I'll get in touch with them as soon as I can. Okay. Sure, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, right away. My next stop had to be Justin Shepard's hotel. And now I had more to go on than a couple of hints from left field. Just as I pulled up in front, I saw Shepard behind 16 cylinders of imported limousine swinging away from the curb. He seemed in no particular hurry, so I tailed him far enough to realize that he could be heading for Max Redmond's apartment. Then I took off through the side streets wide open. I got back to the apartment in time to brace Louise for Shepard's visit. But Marla, what what can I do? Maybe I'd better... Maybe you'd better let him in. Go ahead. Yes? Stand aside, young woman. I'm coming in. Please do, Shepard. You again. Nice of you to drop in. What have you got in the bag, lunch? Don't be facetious. And don't worry, it's all here. I know when I'm beaten. I suppose it would be quite pointless to ask where Redmond himself is. Completely pointless at this late date. Very well. Then I assume I'm to leave this with you. That's right. It had better be right, my boy. Believe me. Good night. Just a minute. How come you're running your own errands? You took care of that yourself earlier tonight. You're a competent man. You should be working for me. Working for you has its drawbacks, Shepard. But you muffed it. Gaffney didn't die right away. Gaffney's dead? Marlo, be careful. Yeah, he lived long enough to tell me he was framed, Shepard. By you. When you can prove that, I'll be at my hotel. But I advise you not to push your luck. Marlo, you let him walk out. Yeah, the guy was right, baby. So far, we've got no proof of any of it. Except this bag. And whatever is... Money. Why, it's... It's filled with bundles of bills. Big ones. At least it... At least a hundred grand. Holy smoke. Excuse me, will you? Who are you calling? Somebody will be very interested in this. You just wait and see. Metcalf speaking. All right, this is Marlowe. I'm at the Redmond place, and get this. Justin Shepard walked in here, dumped a hundred thousand bucks on the table, and left again. Not a half minute ago. At Redmond? Yeah. Why, it's a bribe. We've got him, Phil. We've got him. Don't touch it. I'll be right there. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's more. Uh, go on. Louise Redmond came back. Louise? In the middle of this mess? Yeah, she's here now. Oh, must have been rough on her to find Max. Worse than you think, because that's still not all. What do you mean? That you can bet your briefcase on the fact that Max didn't kill himself in the first place. He was murdered. Sit tight, Phil. I'll be right there. Come on in, Aaron. The money, Marlon. Where is it? In the bag there on the table. Yes. Excellent. Ironbound evidence. Best in the world. We'll have this impounded right away. And oh, oh, Mrs. Redmond, I, I can't tell you how sorry I am, my dear. Thank you, Mr. Metcalf. But I'm grateful to you and to Mr. Marlowe here that Max's death wasn't entirely without purpose, at least. What about that, Phil? Can we prove he was murdered? Well, the bullet entered his right temple, but he was left-handed. That's about all we got. Uh, simple as that. And yet it went by me completely. I doubt we can stick anybody for it. Why not? 
Well, because his killer may be already... Already what, sir? Hmm? Oh, already dead. Another killing? Well, what are you talking about, man? One Earl Gaffney, Shepard's gentle assistant. What? I locked him in a tool bin, but somebody found him there and shot him. Uh, Keaton quiet. Justin Shepard himself. Surely. Now, look. If we can't get him for Max, we'll nail him for Gaffney. Don't count on it. Hey, listen. We've got that fat lizard right where we want him. Now, first, first of, all, of all, it won't fit, Oren. Why not? If Shepard sent Gaffney to get Max, then killed Gaffney. Why did he bring all this dough here to bribe a dead man? Well, yes, you're making sense, Dan. I knew you'd see it. Go on. Okay, try this for size. Max Redman never intended to testify in court. He wasn't after a legal settlement because then the money would go past him to Rudolph Kuvian. This bribe here is all Max was after. But somebody was in it with him. You're crazy. How dare you say oh, that? She's right, Marlowe. Now you're talking like a fool. Am I? Max, no doubt, got into a beef with his partner over the split of the bribe and was shot. Uh, that's a guess, Soren, but this isn't. Gaffney got it because Max's killer couldn't figure how much Gaffney had heard and seen in here. He couldn't take a chance, you see. But whoever killed Gaffney had to wade through the same weeds I did in that vacant lot to get to him. And most of the weeds up there are foxtail grass. You know the kind that comes off on your clothes that sticks in your socks like little darts? That's right, Aaron. Take a look. Your argyles are loaded with the stuff. I don't have to look. You're a bright boy, Phil. Thanks. It uh, went just as you outlined it. Up to this point. I'm sorry you got so much of it right because you can't think of everything. You might be surprised. Don't reach for your gun, Aaron. I'll drop you. It was a filthy scheme. Come on, hand it over. Your gun. Why, sure. Here you are. Now you drop it, Marlowe. Go on. Well, uh... <laughs> the heartbroken little wife. With the very same gun you so generously gave me. That's what I meant, Marlowe. You can't think of everything. Louise and I are going away tonight together. And we're taking that money with us. Stand still, Marlowe. I know more about guns than I pretended. Sure you do. Sure. I had a hunch about you early tonight, baby. Your homecoming was too pat. And you know what? You didn't bring back so much as an overnight bag. And what's more, when I took that gun away from you, you practically handed it to me. You were acting all the way. I'm not now. I'll kill you, Marlowe. Louise, shoot him. I... Shoot. 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 I can't. Shoot. The gun, Oren. It... Shoot. It won't fire. Oh, Poland. I took one of the parts out before I gave it back to you, sweetheart. <sighs> you couldn't make that go off with a blow. Oren, help me. That's right, Oren. Help the lady. Don't. Oren. Believe me, sister, you'd get the same thing right now, but for one good reason. I'm going to need you intact in that car tomorrow morning. By the time the police showed up, Oren Metcalf, dynamic barrister, and Louise Redmond, beautiful dreamer, were already coming apart at the seams. Two hours later, when I finally got away from it, they were still screaming hysterical insults at each other. Now, before I went home, I stopped by the sanitarium just long enough to shake hands with Rudolph Kuvian, who turned out to be a nice, quiet, thoughtful old guy. And I assured him of a fair shake that was long overdue. And I guess it made him happy. It was hard to tell. Because the look on his face said that maybe the real price and things other than money have been much too high. Well, that's the way it is with some characters. They're human. 
The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in tonight's transcribed cast were Howard McNear, Lou Krugman, Rick Vallon, Parley Bear, Georgia Ellis, and Hugh Thomas. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time there was a fish that talked with a lisp, a hot blonde with cold cash on her mind, and a corpse with dirty French cuffs. And I mixed with them all without ever getting out of my own bed. This Wednesday night on CBS, Dr. Christian will bring you the prize-winning script in this year's nationwide contest. CBS cordially invites you to hear Dr. Christian starring Gene Herschelt every Wednesday on most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. You can save for your future today the United States savings bond way. Savings bonds are one of the surest, safest investments you can make because they're backed by Uncle Sam himself. You are sure of getting back $4 for every $3 you invest when the bonds mature in just 10 years. Safe because even if the bonds are lost, destroyed, or stolen, your government will replace them at no charge. And bonds are simple and convenient to buy. Ask your employer to set aside an amount of money from your pay, the amount you decide on. Automatically, systematically, you'll purchase savings bonds. If you're self-employed, have your bank purchase a bond a month for you regularly. Save for your independence. Buy United States savings bonds. This is CBS, where Burns and Allen are heard every Wednesday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's it for this episode of Case Closed. There's more from Richard Diamond, Philip Marlowe, past episodes of this podcast, and all the others at relicradio.com. You'll also find our shoutcast stream there as well with even more old-time radio. If you'd like to help support it all, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Your support makes it all happen. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back again next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Case Closed.